Chris, thanks for jumping on with me. Welcome. Uh, why don't you sort of introduce yourself for the listener? All right. My name is Chris Gardner, known just about everywhere online as Freestyle Coder. Uh, I am professionally a very high-level software dev and also have been a lifelong gamer and have done a lot of stuff in game development and game development advocacy, and uh, including on my Twitch stream, which is on a hiatus right now for this particular point, uh, working on a game open source and kind of getting into the weeds and slowly but surely showing what it takes to get that stuff done. I've got a number of things I want to talk to you about, but one of them is for sure the live coding thing, because I feel like that's one of the most courageous things a software developer can do, right? <laughs> it, th there's definitely nerve wracking and it's less that it's difficult to code live. Although that is difficult. The trick sure. is you have to halfway be in the mindset to be able to write the code, but at the other time, not just be completely silent and typing Right. And and have some sort of, if not entertainment, at least explaining what you're doing. And so it's really trying to do the two things at once that makes it challenging. Because half the point is I'm supposed to mess up. I'm supposed to have bugs that we then go discover and fix later, et cetera. Because that's part of the process and learning and showing how it's okay. But it's that dual track mind of I either need to focus on on writing code or I need to be engaging to the camera and trying to do both at the same time is where things get very interesting. It it felt I've tried it briefly and it felt very unnatural to me. Uh a while back I actually tried it with my first co-host for the podcast cuz he was less of a game developer guy. He was like a networking guy professionally. And so he's like, "Let's get on, you can kind of teach me something like Unity or something like that." And we did try it and I it was very unnatural for me. I tried to get him, you know, explain things. And like you said, I could do one or the other well, but not, I can't entertain while I get technical. When I'm doing this stuff, I'm normally, you know, muttering curse words to myself and spending 15 minutes at a time on Google and stuff. So it's, it's wrong for me, I think. Well, the, the spending 15 minutes of the time on Google, I, I do that midstream. It's like, I don't know what's going on. And, and then you get the fun of trying to be engaging reading technical documentation out loud. Yeah. Skimming the docs, yeah. Right. Um, but much like any other skill, it's practice. You know, I'm sure my first couple streams two years ago-ish were nowhere near as polished and engaging as I can pull off now having done it for a long periods of time. Just like any other streamer, any other YouTuber or whatever, as you do it and you get more comfortable with the camera, and keeping your eye on all the things at once while you're doing it. Yes, am I coding at my, I'm billing customers hundreds of dollars an hour level? No, but can we get a chunk done in the hour scheduled for the stream and I can be engaging to the audience at the same time? Yes. It was a confidence issue too. It was like the first time I out loud expressed a question, like I, I actually forgot what thing I need to do with this. And I can't think of it at the moment. Somebody wrote it in the chat and then left before I thought to look in the chat to see what was going on at the time. And I thought like, this is my lowest point as a developer. <laughs> Someone came in, knew the answer left. And really it, it should have been awesome. It should have been like, Oh my God, a really smart listener is here. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and instead I was, I kind of spiraled inward. I, was, <laughs> I can't, I'm wrong for this. You <laughs> know, I mean, and, and that happens to everybody. Uh, I mean, I did it once, and it was a trivial thing, because if I'm thinking how to decode this large, complex process, I'm going to forget the silly Google-able Google F1 parameter stuff. And that's where somebody can come in and go, oh, it's this. And, yeah, you just have to roll with it. And it's like, yeah, it's I'm, you know... I'm sitting here trying to figure out how to encode model a deck of cards and the intricacies of the ways they naturally shuffle if you're doing a riffle shuffle. So, yes, I forgot that the second parameter to this function I've used 500 times before is this. Yeah. You know. Is that a real example, by the way? Because I've found card games to be one of the most stressful development experiences of all. Yeah, so the game we're working on is a concept I came up with years ago, uh, and it's called Card Roulette. So the idea is imagine a roulette table. Now modify it so that it makes sense with a deck of cards. And so the concept is you shuffle the deck of cards and you flip through them one at a time playing roulette based on what card comes up with the idea of as you go along, 
the better you can remember statistics and whatnot about the deck, the better you can make your bets to win up, to win more at the end. Nice. So we spent the first six months working on this, literally trying to model a deck of cards, yeah. trying to get shuffles right, trying to get cuts right, trying to get dealing off, dealing with discard piles, all of that other type of stuff, figuring out the best way to handle all that. And then if that wasn't bad enough, I then had to write all these helper methods that said, based on what's in this deck of cards, which may be a full deck of cards, or maybe whatever's left in after, let's say, a fourth of it's been done, go through and do the statistics of what are the probabilities that it's a red? What are the probabilities it's a black? What are the probabilities it's a king? Mm -hmm. Et cetera, et cetera. So that when somebody places a bet, uh, I'm writing the game with a couple different rule sets, you know, that way. Yes, I have the rough idea of a story mode as it goes along to kind of teach people the game. It's not about the story mode type of thing. But, you know, it's like when you first begin, all the odds stay static as you're going through. But then like, hey, we're going to go try our hands in Vegas and enter this tournament. And then the idea is the statistics evolve based on what's left in the deck. So I have to be able to very quickly on the fly go, okay, now there's only 40 cards left in the deck. And... 19 of them are red, so that red actually has a higher percentage payout because there's less of them type of stuff. And we had to go through all that as well. And that, you want to talk about being compelling on stream, try writing all of the mathematical statistical models for that on stream live, trying to be entertaining, getting all that done. That was a nightmare, but... Yeah, (laughs) and and my math process is... More more guess and attempt than you would guess, probably. It's more more of a uh almost more art than science sometimes, and that would be another embarrassing factor. But that's extremely cool and it's a cool idea. And uh man, I would I would love to play that in the near future. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, there there is a working prototype on the GitHub, but you kind of have to I'm not an artist, be the first to admit it. There is very much programmer art in place for the board. And you kind of have to know what the board is for it to actually work. So Hmm. before it went in stasis because of some stuff I had going on in the spring, um, we actually got it to a workable point where I actually flipped through a deck and played a game and tried to actually make it work. And it does work. So there's a work. Now I just need to get somebody to make a board that looks like a board. (laughs) A friend of mine was supposed to do it, but then he got bit. And now, now we're in the weeds of the polish to get a... I, you know, I proved the pre-alpha worked. Now we need to get to an alpha to where maybe a few people could hit it and go, hey, yeah, we really do need to develop this before you get to the beta. And part of the experiment is, hey, if this starts, keeps going, and people get more interested in it, maybe you throw it up on Kickstarter and get some funding for it. Or, you know, it, it's let's do the whole process. Let's yeah. show what it's like from beginning to end. And one of the reasons I got into, you know, advocating game development design and and amateur design and any design and stuff like that is there's a lot of really smart programmers out there that think game development is this sort of black magic. You know, they could write, you know, they could architect these huge, massive solutions that solve, you know, business problems for the largest companies where they're like game dev. No, that's scary. So there really is a lot of this of doing it out in the open going, no, it's using the same stuff. You know, there might be slightly more math. You got to wrap your head around the game loop. But all in all, it's the same stuff. Yeah, it is. It is a new way of thinking. And you're a guy. This kind of goes back to the first time uh, we crossed paths, which I'm sure I remember better than you because you do a lot of speaking. But in in my case, I came to one of your uh, little uh, sessions in St. Louis, I believe, for Days of .NET. Is that right? Yes. You you do Days of .NET, which um, I mean now it's been a long time because I ha- I'm not a .NET developer anymore. But you were doing a game dev session there, and right. whereas I promised my managers I would be doing very businessy things all day, uh, I did I did take a break to <laughs> to watch you basically prototype a game just right in front of us. And I don't remember what you were using. Do you do you know what you were using at that time? Uh. It's the same thing I primarily use these days. I can't tell you whether or not it was XNA or Monogame, right. uh, but it was that six and one half dozen the other. You know, one gave birth to the other one that then superseded the first one. So, but yeah, it was probably either XNA or Monogame. It was all in C sharp. I bet it, I was I was sure it was C sharp, and I bet it was XNA because I was super 
excited about X and A at the time. I had the books I was going through and everything, and uh, and now it's not so much these days. I, I know there's what F and A, right? Microsoft completely has walked away from the project. It is now through the Mono framework, which even though Microsoft now owns through Xamarin, uh, they're still just using the backbones of that from where they've ported everything uh, in Mono game. So you have to go get Mono game and install that framework. But almost everything now that used to be in XNA is in Mono game, and yeah. Mono game is now supported on almost every platform. Uh, I don't know if they have gotten to PS5 yet, but I mean, they've got PS4, PS3, Switch, you name it. They have the the runtime to run on, on all of them these days, and it's very well supported completely through an open source, you know, indie, let's keep it alive campaign. Because it really is a great framework. It real and it's still one of the better ways to do like a multi-platform game, from what I understand. And I've had guests on the show who have used it for for their stuff. If you're a coder at heart, it's one of the better ways to work to this day, as far as I know. You know, and I I agree with that. I mean, I've the the a lot of indie game development these days are going through uh, Unity, yeah, and I don't have a problem with that. The thing is, is that the mindset Unity uses is very much game dev specific. And if you are interested in breaking into game development, like your job as a hobbyist of making games is to get into game development, Unity is absolutely the way to go. It's very approachable. It's using the same type of tools most big studios are using where you're using an engine and you're placing things into it and that type of real-time framework. It's the same setup things like Unreal Engine and CryEngine are doing, just on that smaller scale. It is 100% where you need to be to get started. But if you're just a hobbyist hackist, and it's just your side project or your passion project or whatever, something like Monogame, which is just a framework of, just like if I were to go into Visual Studio for my line of business apps and say, I want to make a, uh, let's just say, web API. And so it throws up some of the basic networking code and skeleton for you, and then you can just start working on stuff. XNA did that where it gave you your game loop for free. It gave you your, your main functions. You could very quickly get game components thrown in there. And it was very much a code-first, handle-everything attitude, which a lot of business developers are used to dealing with. So it became a very natural transition from that way. So I think it's a wonderful framework for anyone who is a professional developer and wants to get into game development because it, it works closer to the way they think. Whereas every time I've tried to attack Unity, it's like, okay, and now it does this. And now it's like, no, I want to get in there and I want to actually play around with that game loop. And I actually want to move things. And they're like, nope, you just drop the object in and put its properties on. It's like, that's not how I think. Yeah. The the mindset for me is, is a big, I've used Unity a long time. I started, I was doing .NET programming and business applications and stuff many years before uh, Unity was in, in my office, but, uh, it was the, the mindset for one thing changes a lot in, in my opinion. And even though I've done some professional contracts through like Upwork or like freelance on this or that VR project or whatever, um, I really have a hard time hanging with that, <laughs> that state of mind because the same things I would try to do pretty simply in code. Like if you're a coder first, you got a lot to keep up with, but in terms of compatibility with everything and you know, how easily it's going to get onto uh PlayStation, like you said, and it's, it's worth, worth keeping up with, I guess. So that's been a thing for me, I guess. Again, I couldn't agree more. And I've seen similar mono game-ish type frameworks pop up in other languages. Some of them to almost laughable effects. I try not to make fun of any language because anything that gets somebody interested and in thinking in that mindset, I think is a great thing. Yeah. Um, that talk I gave in St. Louis way back many years ago has evolved in many ways. Believe it or not, that talk is still active. I am giving it in Pennsylvania near the end of the year. Hmm. I mean, I'm still, it's, it's almost unrecognizable from the original <laughs> one. Uh, and now it's almost pure design and theory and the way to think I've gotten away from actually showing live code. Um, not because I'm afraid of it anymore, but because I've discovered it limits the audience. The reason I bring this up is because I tell people when you get out there, find, you know, here's some frameworks that do things that lay things out for you. And I hit just about every language I can think of. 
And the only language I make fun of is Ruby. <laughs> and and I tell people, here's a toolkit for it. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I have to look at my cheat sheet. But here's a toolkit from it. Play around with it. Learn game design. But Ruby is so notoriously slow, you're never going to get good performance out of a Ruby thing. So learn it to learn the mindset. But then you may have to bite the bullet and move to some other language. But at that point in time, you're not learning two things at once. You're transitioning to a new language. You're not learning a new language and a new way of thinking at the same time. Yeah. On top of all the presentations and stuff, you're, it looks like you're organizing a conference also at this point. Is that right? I've been doing it for years. We have dates for this year. We're a little behind schedule and looking at other things, whether or not it actually succeeds this year. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely in the plans. Normally by now, I would like to have had my speakers selected and we're just not there yet. So now it's like, how long do I have to promote and sell tickets? And can I even break even at this point as some of the things we're looking at? Um, just because besides pandemic issues and job issues amongst the various other people that helped me run it, like I just switched jobs not too long ago uh, and other things. It's like we all got so far behind schedule. We're like, are we even going to do another physical event this year? Do we want to just do virtual, which we can spin through in like two months, even though we're really not going to make any money off of it? At least then we break even because we're not paying $5,000 for the venue and $10,000 for food and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's that is definitely a thing that's being looked at right now. And that is definitely a whole different. You think keeping track of a game world <laughs> is difficult? You're dealing with one, maybe four players at that point. Juggle things with contractors and getting speakers and getting attendees and all and all the people at the venue and yeah that's a whole nother nightmare it's it's funny like that would surprise me except that i got a little bit involved with our local developer co-op here in st louis and just just linked up enough to keep up with the events and things that were happening they've got one like indie festival every year that they like to do and i think last year was the first time that they just couldn't get it in time. It was, it became another one of those things. Like, can we make this work in time? And ultimately they decided like, no, there's, we can't. And we're not sure people would come back out yet. And it's, it's a huge risk right now. And I've, I've got a lot of sympathy. I would hate to be on the, on the business end of that. Literally, you know? Right. And it, it's, do I think we could feasibly pull off the conference in time? Yes, me being a speaker, I think I could get enough speakers in that we could actually have content. Um, I, I, we already have the venue reserved. We haven't paid our deposit yet, but we our dates are pinned in because we've dealt with them for so long. Uh, you know, could the fit could the event physically happen at this point? Yes, it's completely the business decision of do I think I can sell two hundred to three hundred tickets minimum to even pretend to break even or even sell, you know, four or five sponsorships yeah. to break even, et cetera, et cetera. It's, those are the types of things we really should have been seriously doing in March. And just between everything going on with all the people involved, those all slipped. So now we're in mid June and it's like, do we have time for this stuff? You know, can, <laughs> can we pull, can we get it? run in three months because we're supposed to be basically uh the thursday and friday after labor day can we pull it off in three months yes will it be an event we're proud of as in we're getting enough attendees to business wise make sense we're getting enough attendees to make it fair to the speakers we're trying to bring out etc cetera, etc cetera. that's where we're really having to, to have the conversation right now yeah. Well, here's hoping because again, tons of sympathy here because I would just the little glimpse into that world I've taken. It seems to be um, a nightmare worse than worse than I would have guessed. So so uh, best of luck with that. You're you're in the Huntsville area, right? Yes, I am. OK, how hot is it there right now? So I just did a tweet earlier today saying about how wonderful it was. Ignore the fact I'm wearing a hoodie right now. This ties sure. into this. At two o'clock today, it was about 95 degrees with a heat index of about 105. Ugh. 
We had a little random thunderstorm come through. It lasted 30 minutes most. It just kind of popped up, dumped a bunch of rain, went away. The temperature dropped. I think the official numbers are on my Twitter, and it's not worth looking at, but it's like the, the temperature dropped 12 degrees. The heat index dropped 15 degrees. So we're only talking it went from 95 and 105 to 82 and 90. Yeah. But that was the greatest thing in the world because that 15 degree drop happened in like three minutes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See so if we like, got down to 82 still here. Degrees, I'm like, yes, but it's the most awesome 90 degrees ever, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. If we got between 85 and 90 right now, it would be everybody outside. Let's go <laughs> while we can, because yeah, yeah. we're, we're up in the, upper nineties, close to a hundred right now too in St. Louis. And it's just, well, yeah, the, the lawn is starting to die and it's like, there's nothing to do. I'm not going to do anything for that. What can we, you know? Yeah. Oh and we're God. forecasting for that for the next 10 days. Yeah. So these little pop-ups are the only thing that's saving us. Um, geographically speaking, Huntsville's weird and not besides all the other weird stuff, but on our East side, I had a, that way, um, we've got the very edge of the, the Appalachian mountains, it pretty much ends at the Tennessee river and doesn't really cross over, you know, hills and stuff do, but that's pretty much the, the very end of the Appalachian. And we're in no way hilly. It's only like elevation 800 to a thousand, you know, it's not that high, but it's the very end of where it hits. (laughs) Um, And then it's the Tennessee river Valley, which cuts off the bottom side of Huntsville and then wraps around the bottom of that to go up into Chattanooga and back into Tennessee and all that. So we're in like the literally riverbed of the river valley of the Tennessee River. So not only do we get all this heat, but from being in the valley, it soaks up everything from the Tennessee River, which is somewhere between a mile and two miles that way, uh, and just sucks up all this humidity. It just sits there and doesn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it gets incredibly brutal here in the summers. Um, and we're all like, why do we do this? And then it's nothing in the winter. We'll get like one iced over day and it's like, Ooh, that was pretty bad. And you know, the, the spring and the summer for what, or the spring and the fall for what we have of it, uh, more so fall than, than spring is just absolutely gorgeous. And it kind of makes up for it. But yeah, that's, you get that sitting in this river Valley two, three months of just crushing humidity and heat indexes and whatnot so it's it's very interesting this time of year yeah are are you graced with any of the the remote work opportunity with the new job anything like that yes um apparently my office is in atlanta i've never seen it (laughs) nice (laughs) um there's no real expectation for me to ever go there uh it's there if i want it um and what was my previous job the one i just left it was in knoxville so similar four-hour drive if I actually needed to. Um, and I think the entire four and a half years I was at that job, I was I, I think I went to the office maybe a dozen times. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I've I've been working remote for a long time, which gives me a lot of clout to be able to work remote at other positions and whatnot. So it kind yeah. of works out nicely that way. Yeah, see, and and that crossed my mind because I have in the past done defense-ish work, which I seem to recall you're sort of in that that world a little bit as, as well, or you were at one time. So when I was at St. Louis, St. Louis, uh, St. Louis <laughs> days of .NET, yes, I was very much working for a defense contractor. I was actually the CTO of that company at the time, a uh, multi-million dollar company, et cetera, et cetera, uh, living, breathing that world. And no, I did not work remote, but that was the <laughs> last in-office job I ever had. Uh, when I left that job, I was like, I'm tired of the commute. I'm tired of having to dress up to sit in an office and have nobody see me, et cetera, et cetera. So I was I was fortunate enough that I left that job, but they still then hired me on contract for six months. And I kind of got my feet wet working remote from then and saying, you know, I, I was able to specify the terms of the contract. Um, and that led me to an opportunity to then work for other people and, and other places. I haven't worked for a company in Huntsville gosh, eight-ish years, something like that. Um, So, you know, that's worked out very well for me. And it's not that a couple of them haven't talked to me, but then they're all like, yeah, we're defense contractors. You have to come into the office. I'm like, no, 
<laughs> you won't no. you, you don't pay me enough to do that. They're like, we want to offer you this much salary. I'm saying, yeah, you don't pay me enough to do that. Because <laughs> when you're early in your career, defense contracting pays more than normal uh normal commercial business. <laughs> uh just because of the way those contracts work and whatnot, you can you can get started at a salary higher than the other ones. The thing is, is that as you go up in experience, they don't scale well. Yeah. To whereas you'll hit a point where I mean I've gotten some offers where they wanted to give me some ridiculous amount amounts of money, but the baggage that comes on top of it almost isn't worth it. To whereas now I'm making now I don't want to go into the exact numbers I'm making and whatnot, but you know yeah, I'm sure. doing very well right now. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I, I might be able to get fifty grand more out of the out of the government, but that's showing up to an office every day in a suit yeah, in meetings, 24 seven, you're never getting anything done, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now I'm working with just as big type of companies, but I have greater control over what I'm doing and, and things like that. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's great that there's all this DOD stuff here and it's dogpiling on the, the city and the economy. Now, uh, Huntsville as a whole is doing great. Um, I've got the whole Space Force headquarters coming in, which is about to be an influx of more yeah. DOD money. Uh, we recently got named one of the best cities in the in the country from one of those people who do things like that. You know, we're making all these top 10 lists. We're getting all these diversified different companies coming in and doing stuff. We have a huge meta data center in town that they're about to expand. We've got a Google data center not too far away. We've actually got Google Fiber. Um <laughs> Good you know, you. we pulled that <laughs> off. You know, that, that Google Fiber router is right there. And let me tell you, it is nice. everything they say it is. Um, you know, so we've got all these great quality of life stuff that's been happening. But, yeah, it is very much at the at the source of the federal government. The federal government decided to shut this place down and move a few key things out. This place would almost be a ghost town. Yeah. See, I, I came up in a similar situation. My uh, oh crap. Uh, my parents came up. Um, they met at Scott air force base in uh, O'Fallon, Illinois. And so when, when I grew up, like it was very much that same kind of thing, like that area kind of thrived. Uh, it's close to St. Louis. Sure. So it's going to do okay. But uh, there's so much like defense contracting, so many companies like that uh, airplanes being made and, you know, the airport being expanded and all that stuff. Like almost everybody worked, in or around that space. And sure enough, when I got out of college, I only did one or two job jobs before somebody who I had actually met at Toys R Us when I worked there as a teenager, I saw him and he's, he goes, dude, I, I work for the government. Now I do, I do a contracting job. I got to get you in on this. I'm like, yes, let's go. You know? So, so my buddy from Toys R Us got me in the door doing defense contracting. And it's so much what you described. It's like, it starts well, and it's good experience with, I mean, you'll, you'll never learn as much about supporting older technology and older software systems, which is a very real thing in, in, uh, development and, and, you know, tech in general, but you'll never learn as much of it as you will doing that kind of work. And at the same time, you usually get to work with some cool newer stuff. It scales up. And yes, I found that eventually, to stay in the game and to stay developing my career, it would be go ahead and put on a tie, get involved in the uh, requirements gathering side, and you'll be helping make the decisions and interfacing with our partners on the federal side and everything, which is fine. It's good work. Somebody's got to do it. But to me, it appeared that that would be so much less productive work, which I didn't think was going to be important to me. I thought like if something pays well and does well, I'm not going to care. Turned out I did as, as a person who developed very technical skills and learned to, you know, any, any coder at heart wants to get stuff done. And I, I found that after a certain point, I couldn't not get stuff done at work anymore. It drove me a little crazy. So I had to sort of move on to other things. You know? I, and, and I think you bring up a really good point there because it is, again, there's a lot of nifty tech you get to play with. I don't, you know, I, I want to, I'll date myself a little bit here. So the thing we all take for granted these days, prox cards and all that, uh, from being here in town very early in my career, I worked with a company here in town that worked on the initial project called the RFID tag. Hmm. Uh, or no, yeah, 
Yeah, it was RFID dog tag, which they were originally using for combat readiness because it was an unproven technology. And we were playing with all the scanners and all the RFID scanners, and the guys would run by getting on the plane when they're getting ready to deploy, and they would automatically check them in, and they could see as soon as the plane was filled and told to go and all that stuff. And it was all this great new technology. But as you go on in the career, the people who stay in that environment and, and stay successful lose that hunger for that tech. Yeah. To them, it's a paycheck. And it's a it's no one's gonna fire you. It's very dependable. It's got generally got very good benefits. It generally pays very well. Five o'clock comes, you hit the door, you never think about it another time. And there's a whole group. Even when I was teaching college, you could tell the students where I was like, you go work for Raytheon <laughs> because you're going to clock out at five o'clock and be completely done. And there's there's plenty of room for the people who do that. And you're going to go start your own company, yeah. you know, because it's it's and I've seen these people who had that passion for tech who then chase that paycheck and chase those benefits. And it was completely extinguished. And, you know. How many good algorithms and, and good things and good technology did we lose because that paycheck completely destroyed the spirit of that coder? Yeah. Just to, to really date myself here, I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. My dad was in the Air Force. So Fort Bragg, Pope Air Force Base. You've heard of both of them because if you've ever seen a movie with Delta Force, they showed Fort Bragg. 82nd Airborne, they showed Fort Bragg. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I was living there when Operation Desert Storm, the Iraqi war started. We lost 80% of our population overnight. Hmm. That city became a ghost town. You, you did not realize how much, of course, you know, me, I'm in high school at the time. So our school was the same, but everyone was like, yeah, half my family's gone now. Yeah. You know, you go out to restaurants, there's nobody there because you forget how much of that economy was based on the 82nd Airborne people who have no, you know, no family there. They're not, you know, they might be dating, but they're not married. They don't have kids. They're just out blowing their money and being wild and reckless. And all of that's gone. Literally yeah. just the support system is left. And it's like, there's nobody here. It was eerie when that happened. Yeah. If you ever want to see a Buffalo Wild Wings shut down overnight, yeah, for sure, close down our Air Force Base. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, any anything like that, all those places that everybody goes after work to hang out or whatever, it's uh, it is that the the culture is the young people who are enlisted or uh, getting started as contractors and stuff. Uh, it's a coincidence that you know my parents met there and I ended up we all stayed around, which was cool. But yeah, it's. It's a, it's kind of a fascinating dynamic for a region, um, major cities nearby or not to, to see everything kind of that closely tied to the same couple of things. Um, I guess before too much time runs out, we should kind of round you out as a gamer. Uh, let's, let's take a minute to hear kind of what you came up playing and, uh, what, what kind of stuff you're into now. Oh, I mean, first game I played, I was like eight years old in the eighties. Um, and it was, my dad came home with an old, with the TR, it's not an old one. It was brand new at the time. With the TRS eighty Model Three tape drive, <laughs> little bitty small game. Got started there. It's actually I got started programming too because it was hanging around. And back then you couldn't destroy a computer because the entire <laughs> operating system was on a disc, and you took it out before you did anything, so you couldn't really destroy it. Um, so a lot of time to hack around. But I mean, shortly after there, we had an Atari twenty six hundred. I remember getting a Nintendo back when it was new. Um, and the, the things that really get to me as a gamer are more action and adventure type things. So, I mean, I have a Zelda tattoo. I don't know how much <laughs> you can see it. There's so much Zelda memorability back there. It's not funny. Oh yeah. It's probably, um, you know, there's very much of that series. I'm very much a, a Nintendo boy. I, I have my, sometimes in those long meetings when you're on mute, you just have to catch Pokemon. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and also just as with the, it's, you know, the type of adventure and that type of action game I grew up with, which a lot of now is turned into first person shooters, which I find boring as a genre for the most part these days. Yeah, I'll play some of the, the better ones, but it's like, how many times you're going to rehash the same thing that really doesn't change? As I've matured more, I got more into uh, survival horror. <laughs> so uh, I actually do have a Twitch stream. I'm My Twitch stream is still active for my gaming streams right now, which is I do one on Saturday nights 
where I do uh, survival horror type stuff. Uh, last week we just got done beating the Resident Evil remake, um, and even though this is everything I just complained about, we're going to do a second attempt at Doom Eternal starting this week. Uh, we tried it last week because every now and then you just need some stupid fun. Yeah, it gives me an excuse to play this M-rated game. It's all just run and gun and visceral guts and whatnot, so it's not really scary per se, classically. Um, but we tried it once, and I very much got turned off by the fact that I bought the game. I actually bought it. I didn't get it off Game Pass, even though you can for the Xbox. I bought it, went to play it, and the first thing it does is it says, log into slash create your Bethesda.net account. And I'm like, no, I'm playing <laughs> single player, and I paid for this game. Go away. Yeah. Uh, so we immediately turned it off, and the reason we started playing the Resident Evil remake was because it was the only other survival horror thing I had installed on my Xbox Series X. Hmm. Uh, so it was like, literally, we're just going to go into this. And, you know, we had fun with it and everything was good. Um, I did some searching online later that said if you disconnect your Xbox from the Internet, like physically unplug the wire, uh, when it cannot connect the Internet, it won't ask you to log in. So we're going to oh. play it single player, just offline. Um, but I think on cue after that, assuming nothing new comes out to preempt this, is I never got around to playing Dead Space 3. Uh, I played the other two, and I would like to play 3 before the hype train for the new remake comes out, because yeah. I'm really interested in the remake. Dead Space was such a phenomenal game. Yeah. Um, so that that's where that one is. And then I do a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon stream, which is generally something family-friendly. My, my kids will sometimes show up and, and sit around in the background. Uh, you know, speaking of Pokemon, the last two we did was Brilliant Diamond or technically Shining Pearl. We did Shining Pearl when it first came out. We just got done with Legends Arceus. And then now I'm playing Kingdom Hearts, which I had never played before. Spoiler alert, I'm really not enjoying it, but <laughs> I didn't enjoy it when I played it back in the day because I hate the dual shot control. Yeah. Yeah. Now I hate it because it's a dated old bad game design. <laughs> Um, but at least now it's tolerable. So I'm actually able to get through it and see what people are talking about. And I'm starting to get a little more familiar with it, but it's not playing like this anymore. It's yeah. the more comfortable controller that I'm able to use an Xbox controller and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if you want to hear me complain about game design, come watch that Sunday afternoon stream because all I do is rag on the game the entire time. It's it's an interesting series because I love the idea of it. I think the idea is brilliant. Oh, I love the idea. Yeah. And I, I think there's, I would love to like it more. It's about the best I can say. I, I tried one of the earlier ones a long time ago. I tried, I don't even, it's hard to even sort out the names as somebody who's not a big fan of the series, but like, I'll try one every so many years ago. Like I've either missed too much or something like this isn't clicking for me, but I, uh, maybe one day, I don't, I don't know. And, and the strange thing about it is, Another one of the reasons I, I stopped with it back in the day was the DualShock controller was part of it. Because one, I had borrowed a PlayStation from a friend of mine who I let borrow my Xbox because I don't remember what they, but they wanted to play something. And so not only was the controller not comfortable for me with that DualShock controller, and there are people who love the DualShock controller and hate the Xbox controller. We're not going to go into that argument at all. Comfort factor. That's yeah. neither here nor there. But there's also the fact that X square triangle circle has no meaning to me. Yeah. Whereas ABXY does. So there, there was that factor too, but I was fighting the controller as it was. I played for a good five, six hours. And the way the original kingdom hearts on disc for the PlayStation two was set up in those six hours, I never saw a single Disney character <laughs> and just gave up completely. Yeah. I'm like, I, I cannot do this. Now, put one with the Final Mix remix that I have on the Xbox. So you buy it as, and I don't remember if it's still on Game Pass. It was at one time. Yeah. But you buy it as Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and 2.5 Final Remix. So they actually have gone through and done an a, a HD remake of it. You actually see some Disney characters earlier, and they kind of get you in that story and show how the Disney's tying in during that intro part. You still don't play with them for a very long time, but you see them earlier. 
And then when I was more comfortable with the controller, I was able to get to, you know, within four hours, I got to my first Disney World. <laughs> and within three hours, I actually was playing with Donald and Goofy. So at least it got to that point quicker. But yeah, and I I am generally not a big fan of pure HD remix. Yeah. The reason being is because I don't care about the updated graphics. I play enough indie games and do enough in the indie space and whatever. Graphics don't bother me if you have a nice, compelling story. Mm -hmm. But none of these games update the game loop, that none of them update the feeling of the controller, make it more easy. So they still very much have those floaty anachronisms of the, you know, PlayStation 2 era, where of course things were a little floaty and we're a little off time just because the power of the system, the amount of stuff you're trying to push through it. We don't have those problems anymore. So now it just feels like old dated design. I, I agree with that. And that's something that has me really interested in the upcoming Turtles games re-release because mm -hmm. the first footage of that I saw, it looks like just a deep, deep reworking of like everything. And they, they have some interviews out where they're talking about like, we had to make this feel right and everything. And I'm like, oh, you have my attention because... I think you can still play the first arcade game on like Xbox live somewhere. It wouldn't have been that big a deal, but if they're trying to modernize it a little bit now, I'm now I'm interested, you know? Right. And funny, you should mention that. Cause right before and like between work and eating dinner and getting ready to, to come talk to you, you know, spoiler alert for the people who are listening after the fact we're doing this in the evening. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was actually watching the escapist review of that game. Mm -hmm. Um, and they explicitly mentioned the controls feel great. Oh, and that as, as the game it is, you know, it, it is very satisfying for that nostalgia. But then they're like, now give me a reason to play it. And they're like, they have these weird upgrading mechanics and all the players play exactly the same because they're trying to, you know, when you walked up to the arcade, you just got whichever one was there. So they all had to basically play identical. You know, all the characters play identical. There is some branching paths and some leveling up, but the, the reviewer, was, it was N.C. Wushu on The Escapist, or K.C. Wushu, and he was like, literally, I mean, the four hours of the initial playthrough was a blast, but they tried to add all these references that they don't explain, and they give you this progression, but then you're playing the same characters who all play the same way, so it doesn't feel the same way to go through. They're like, as a couch co-op, great. It's on Game Pass. Maybe I'll get a few people who have the nostalgia factor and we'll blow through it sometime. But, I mean, it sounds like they fixed the control problem, but they didn't fix the problem of why it should be a compelling experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. Because it seems right, because it's the same style. If you have not played when Rare redid Battletoads. Yes, I did. That is worth everything. Yes. They fixed Everything about the controls, it felt good and tight when you're doing these weird combos that you almost have no control over. You felt like you have control over them. They added the humor. They added the cutscenes. They added everything to make it. It feels great. It plays great. It's still extremely difficult for those who like the challenge, and they give you just enough of a you know, bone to go on. I think that is taking that old-school style and remaking it correctly. Yeah. And I think we need to be paying more attention to people doing stuff like that because that's how you do it right. The only reason I'm really excited about this Dead Space remake, especially because visual, uh, Visceral Games doesn't even exist anymore, um, is they said we wanted to stay true to the feel of the original, but we went and talked to all the old fans and said, what do we need to fix? Hmm. So they're coming at it with, we don't want to change the game and the tone and the atmosphere of the original but we want to make it modern. And that's like, yes, that's how you do a remake. I, I could definitely see checking that out. And that's not really my, my usual thing, but I did play it back then and I would absolutely try it again. So um, I'm also curious. So you're, you're a established streamer at this point, you've been doing it for a while and you've uh, hit affiliate. So you're checking all the boxes. Um, are you, are you finding an audience for like the, the family stuff? Because that's something I'm, I've been dabbling in for the first time and it's been very interesting. Like, how's it going for you? I have discovered because of the way I do it, it's very hit or miss based on the game. And that goes yeah. for both streams. 
yes, I have people who will show up to both and keep me company. I have people who will show up for the mature game stream on Saturday night. I have people who will show up. I have people who show up for the, the coding streams, but not the other. So, so we're going to ignore all that. But as far as looking at the numbers consistently, it's so game dependent. And it's also game dependent and time dependent. And what I mean by that is uh, if I'm doing a game that has a big community behind it, yes, I'll get random people who show up. Um, I've gotten two or three random people for the Resident Evil when I was doing the Resident Evil stream just because I was playing the Resident Evil remake and they're fans of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, when we started Pokemon Brilliant Diamond or Pokemon Shining Pearl, right when it came out, a lot of people showed up just because that was the new Pokemon game. Mm-hmm. But as I was trying to play it on stream and I only do that, you know, four hours on a Sunday. Yes. I'll go through and I'll pick up extra, you know, catch extra Pokemon or do some leveling up so that we can be more compelling during the streams. But, you know, as the community was done with the game for that one, like three weeks afterwards, nobody cared about that one after a while. (laughs) Um, And I'm still going, you know, it took me two months to beat it because of the amount we were doing it on stream and whatnot. You could see the numbers dwindling just because it was no longer the hot game. Same thing with Legends Arceus. Legends Arceus, I would get more random people further in from it because it had a lot more staying power. And if you haven't played Legends Arceus, go play it. That was a phenomenal game. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, you can really tell where Legends Arceus was the natural progression of what they learned from Sword and Shield. And you can tell from all the trailers we're seeing for Scarlet and Violet that they're learning from both those put together to a mainline game. Mm-hmm. So, but Legends Arceus was a phenomenal game. It had a lot more staying power. But when we're getting at the end game of that one, two months out, you could see those numbers because people had moved on to the next thing. So there's very much, can I play something right when it's hot? And then to, to gain extra people who then stick around for the community. And we'll pick up one or new people every time for that, you know, or am I just going to my, to my normal round? So and Saturday, Sunday afternoon is just a weird time. Yeah, yeah. Who's watching on a Sunday afternoon? Um, especially now that we're getting into summer, so people are going to be out and doing stuff. You know, Sunday afternoon in the middle of winter is not quite as weird. Sunday afternoon in the middle of summer, people show up maybe if it's raining where they are, or, you know, there's a lot of things that, that go into that. So, but yeah, yeah. it's a very fickle beast. It's uh, streaming is fun if um, if you're not super discouraged easily. And like you said, a lot of people try to do the variety streaming thing. And I think that's worth doing, uh, even though it's going to be very inconsistent between games, between nights, you know, times of day you try to do it. And, um, you know, I tried unusual stuff. You you followed the tweets as I was trying to learn to cook, which I had, I had a blast with. My family really appreciated it. Right. <laughs> um, but we were we were ordering meals through one of the food services, and I would just every night try to cook something different. I found people wouldn't stay for certain types of foods, and they would admit it. They're like, "Ah, I'm not into. You know, you're making you're you're making spaghetti again. I'm out." <laughs> you know, it's like, right. okay, okay, bye. You know. But it's it's fun experimenting with it. It's just hard to track in your mind. Like this may be because of the the topic tonight. It may be because of the time. There's a lot of things to think about to try to capitalize on. So if you can sort of keep yourself motivated through uh you know a, a couple of nights slump here and there, it's you can do it. You know, right? And I've I've. Openly said, which seems weird right now, because as I mentioned earlier, my coding streams are kind of on hiatus from some stuff I was doing in the spring. They're coming back soon. Everybody keep checking out. They're coming back soon. I promise they may change when they were, because I'm trying to find when I can find a consistent time to do it with the new work schedule, which is the main holdup right now. But it's no longer the fact that I was teaching a college class in the spring and I just did not have time. Yeah. Um, so, so those are coming back, and I consider those my bread and butter, and that's where I'm really trying to develop my audience. I, part of it was I needed to keep my hours up to maintain my my affiliate status yeah. during that break, but I had already been doing the, the game stuff beforehand. I've openly admitted to my wife, not just my audience, to my wife, I almost don't care if you don't show up or not. This is my excuse to go through my games backlog. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, I'm a, I'm a busy guy. I got two kids. I got a wife. I'm doing the conference stuff. I've got the day job, et cetera, et cetera. I literally just scheduled the time for me to play games. And people can come join me if they want, and we will have a good time talking, and I'll talk to the chat, and we'll do all that stuff. Or if I'm having one of those slow nights because I'm playing a weird game and it's at a weird time, I'll just sit on stream and kind of make fun of the game and play it to have fun. And if everybody's quiet, there you go. It's, it, I'm still getting my chance to keep up with my games. I, I think you hit on something that makes sort of a great takeaway for tonight. Like we we do so many things that are difficult to gauge, build on, uh, get, get momentum with. And if you, if you're giving yourself a reason to do it, like this is my time to go through the backlog. Like you said, this is my time to put an hour toward a project that it may take me three years to get this done or whatever it is. But if, if you've got that thing that makes you feel good, like this is my time to sit at my desk, uh, very late at night after everybody goes to bed or what, however it works. I think that's what you hang on to. You don't hang on to the, 200 subscribers or you know uh 300 streams yesterday it's it's got to be that thing like win or lose rain or shine this is this is my time you know right right and and there are you know i would like to get into more content creation i would i would love to get some educational youtube videos out and or get some stream stuff and say hey people really like this so let's consolidate it down and stuff like that and, and kind of get into that stuff but again that's time. And that's, you know, this is my time where I can say, I'm going to sit down and have fun and do this. And we're going to, just going to let the world join. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, as we sort of wrap things up, let's take a minute to make sure we sort of point people in the right direction for your various things. So you, you take the lead on that. All right. Uh, easiest way to find me is on Twitter, freestyle coder, all one word crammed together. Um, that's, Oh, I have friends that will send me a tweet faster than they can text me because the, the way that stuff happens. Um, all Almost all of the rest of the stuff is, is through that. I don't have enough followers on YouTube, and this is not saying follow me on YouTube because I don't have the content to have that number of followers. If you look up Freestyle Coder, you'll find the few things I have posted. You won't say youtube.com slash Freestyle Coder. That won't work. Um, but Twitch Freestyle Coder... YouTube. Uh, the only one that's weird is my email address is Gardner. You can email me too. I don't care. I'll generally try to respond to anybody. So, but yeah, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. And I just, I love talking about this. I, I've got conferences coming up. I will be in Wisconsin at that conference in end of July. KCDC, so relatively close to you. Relatively, mm -hmm. yes. I know that's like a six-hour drive across the street. But yeah. yeah. Uh, KCDC beginning of August, uh, beginning of August, Code Palooza in Louisville, middle of August. Uh, I should be at Tech Bash, which is where I'm also giving the Game Dev Talk in November. Uh, so I'm I'm also out and around. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, you can find out all that stuff. Love talking to people if I'm in your area. Anytime, stop by the stream, ask questions. Got no problem with any of it. Cool. Well, yeah, for sure. Get get that content creation going, and uh, we'll we'll have you back and check in on that. Sounds like a plan. That's right, friends. Game Dev Breakdown is back. If you enjoy the show, please think about hitting follow or subscribe. Won't cost you a thing, and it's a big deal on this end. We have show notes at CodeWritePlay.com, along with articles, news, and other stuff. You can follow us on social. The show is at GameDevPod. The website is at CodeWritePlay. And me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla with one D and two L's. Don't hesitate to reach out to help us make this the show you want to hear. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody.